might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you see the reason there? Do you see why John wrote? John wrote because he wants you to believe in this person of Jesus and so find life in his name. Now you might kind of read that or hear me saying that and you might think, well, Steve, I'm already alive, right? I'm already alive. How, what does that mean? I went to uni today, I got up, I'm walking around, I'm breathing. One of my classes, I kind of felt a little bit dead. That was a bit hard to handle, but, but I'm alive. I'm here, right? What does it mean that Jesus says there, that John says there, that in Jesus we can find life? Well, friends, John... In fact, Jesus' whole Bible actually wants to tell us that there is a different dimension to life than just the physical life. There is a life that is called the spiritual life. It is a life uh, that really, to, to kind of summarise what the spiritual life is, it's, it's the life where you are alive to your creator, where you are in right relationship with God, your creator. Uh, the, the Bible says very clearly, and I think we all would know that we will all die physically. But if we have spiritual life, then we will never really die. This is what the Bible kind of calls the eternal life. Because we are alive to God, we are in right relationship with him. When we die physically, we will continue to live. This is the life that John is talking about. And over the coming weeks, what we'll see is that this spiritual life that John is talking about here actually radically changes the way we live our everyday lives. It shapes the way we live as uni students. It shapes the way we live as parents. It shapes the way we live as housemates. It reshapes everything. Uh, The spiritual life, if you have it, reshapes our loves, it reshapes our purpose, reshapes understanding our understanding of freedom, it reshapes where we find joy. John is saying... True life, true life is bound up in what you believe about Jesus. So our question tonight that we want to wrestle with is this. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about this person of Jesus? There in that verse, what does John say? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? What does that mean? What means do you believe he's the king? Do you mean that he is God's king Is Jesus the king of your life? Is he the one that you submit to, take orders and guidance from? Or do you make those decisions for yourself? Are you the king of your life? Secondly, though, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? There's a lot of opinions out there about Jesus. Do you believe that he is more than just a good man or a good teacher? Do you believe he is the son of God? Do you believe he is God in the flesh? God come to... Uh, be with us to rescue us. What do you believe about Jesus? It's an important question. In fact, I, I would put it to you that it is the most important question that we could ever wrestle with. The Bible says here that true life is found in Jesus Christ. And I think, I actually did a bit of Google searching this week. On Friday last week, I discovered this thing called Google Trends. I don't know if you've ever heard of Google Trends. I'll show you something in a moment. On Google Trends, you can actually type in a term and you can see what people are searching for. 
So I decided to punch in Jesus, for instance, and, and Jesus rates really highly. In fact, I compared a few different trends. Here's the first one, Jesus and study. I thought you guys would be interested in study. Um, you can see study takes a radical dip around Christmas and January. No one's studying at that time of the year. Interesting, though, Jesus kind of takes a rise around Easter and Christmas every year. People are searching for Jesus more than study. What about this one, Bendigo? <laughs> Bendigo didn't rate very highly on Google Trends. Uh, this is worldwide. If you kind of narrowed it down to Australia, it was a little bit higher. But, uh, what about Taylor Swift? Wow. Tay-Tay had some good moments, right? Uh, she was above Jesus there for a little bit. But I think she's waning. This is just over the last, um, well, it's 2012 to 2015, so that was Taylor's heyday, really. Um, American Idol started out well, but I think we've all stopped watching that, haven't we? Yeah. There's one thing, though. Have a look at this. Memes. Memes are Jesus' biggest threat. That's, that's what I feel I've, I've discovered through my research. Memes are on the rise. I found this via Twitter, actually. There was a, um, there was a guy who's... It's just like the meme Twitter thing, and this guy said, we have overtaken Jesus. <laughs> memes have overtaken Jesus. But fascinating. One thing actually far outranks Jesus more than anything. That's life. Life. People are searching to find out about life. What is life about? What is the purpose of life? What are we here for? What should I do with my life? How do I live life well? Those sorts of questions. People want to see, people are searching for life. John says here, true life is found in Jesus Christ. So tonight, I want us to look at John chapter 1. I want us to jump into that chapter and I want us to see three particular things that John says about Jesus. Firstly, John says Jesus is the source of life. Secondly, he said apart from Jesus, there is no life, we are dead. But thirdly, he says we can have new life by believing in Jesus' name. So have a look there at John chapter 1. And it's very interesting where John starts his biography of Jesus. If you think about life, for instance, John actually starts his story of Jesus before life itself started. Have a look there. Let's look together. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. says this, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See what John says straight up there? John says, I think one of the most confounding but important things that we can ever know. He says that the God who is there is plural. He says that there is a God and he <coughs> exists in relationships. Do you see it there? He talks about God and the Word. The Word is a person. It's referred to as a he. God and the Word are there. Later on we'll find out that this Word is Jesus himself, the Son. Further on in John's Gospel we'll learn that there's another person there in the Godhead called the Holy Spirit. God exists in relationships. Father, Son and Spirit. That is the God of the Bible, living in perfect 
relationship with one another. You ever had a perfect relationship? You've had one that was close. It's kind of nice, isn't it? You know, sometimes you see people and you kind of look over and you go, oh, they look like they've got a good relationship. And you want to kind of get in on it, right? You want to, you want to like, be a, be a part of it because you, you kind of go, that looks like a great relationship. I want to share in that joy. Actually, do you know the reason that God created our world was so that we could share in the joy that he has had before he created, for all eternity. That's the God of the Bible. A God who exists in joyous, loving relationships. A lot of us, I think, have this understanding that God is kind of this old man sitting on a cloud, just kind of waiting to slap us when we do something wrong. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God who exists in joy-filled relationships. What's your view of God? What's your view of Jesus? Here, John tells us that Jesus is the Word. Why does he do that? Why does he refer to? Why doesn't he just say in the beginning, in the beginning was Jesus? Well, he's actually getting at something here. He's saying the Word. Jesus is the Word because Jesus does something for us. Jesus actually reveals God to us. Jesus makes God known, so we can actually know the God who is there. So you think about words for a moment. What do, what do words do? Words actually reveal things, don't they? See, you know, you might have walked in, you might not know me very well. Uh, some of you don't know me from a bar of soap. Uh, but you might have kind of made some conclusions about me. You might have gone, oh yeah, he kind of looks like a man. <laughs> He's a bit old. Certainly not a first year. You know, you can know some things, right? just from looking at me, just from observing. But as soon as I open my mouth and I use my words, you actually get to know me, right? Hi, I'm Steve. You get to know me. I'm married to Laura. I have three kids. You get to know me more. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. You you get to know me more. You see, as we use our words, we actually get to know one another. That's why John says here that Jesus is the Word. Because Jesus makes God known to us. He reveals God to us. In fact, if you just skip down to verse 14, this is made absolutely clear that the Word is Jesus. See there verse 14? It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if you skip down to verse 18, we see there it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, but he who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. You want to get to know God? Then get to know Jesus. That's what the Bible is saying. Pretty massive claims from John, right? John makes some huge claims about this person of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus is no ordinary bloke. In fact, John is saying Jesus is the Son of God. He's the one who was there before any of what we know existed. Jesus was the one that breathed life into our universe. He's the source of life. So if you want to have life, you need to get to know him. Have a look again there at verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5. It says that in him, that's Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. Many of you would know uh, the Christian story that Jesus sent, was sent by his Father to come into our world. Why did Jesus come? You've asked that question. Why did Jesus come? Why did he give up his Godhead joyous relationship? Why did he give that up? Well, the answer is right here, isn't it? The Word became flesh because our world became dark. Not just physically dark, but spiritually dark, emotionally dark, morally dark. It's the kind of darkness that you see when you flick on the news or you scroll through your iPad or, or one of those websites and you just see murder and hatred, you see violence. That's the kind of darkness. When, when we as humanity kind of turn away from God in this thing that the Bible calls sin. I don't know if you know what sin is. Very simply, sin is rebellion against our God. Sin is saying, God, we don't need you in our life anymore. We don't, we don't want you to tell us what to do. We don't want you in our life. We're going to try and seek our joy, find our life over here apart from you. You can just leave us alone. Thank you very much. Let's put sin in. We pursue our own selfish pursuits. And along the way, we often hurt other people. What we see in this chapter, and in fact it's, it's what we see in the whole Bible really, is that Jesus came into our world, into that darkness, in order to shine a light, in order to, to make God known. Jesus came in to rescue us out of the darkness. And he did that by letting that darkness fall on him. In verses 9 to 11, just have a look there again, verses 9 to 11. John speaks of how Jesus came into our world. It says that he, the true light came to enlighten the world. Yet, you see there, verse 10, the world did not know him. It says Jesus came to his own, his own people, verse 11, but his own did not receive him. If you know the story of Jesus, then you'd know what he's talking about there. One of the very famous verses in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16, says this, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, when he came, he preached a message of forgiveness, of life, of hope. He called people to turn away from their sin and to believe in him. Jesus came to bring life. But the people of Jesus' day, they rejected him. In fact, in John chapter 3 and verse 19, it says this, The light came into the world, but the people loved darkness rather than light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Do you see now why they didn't come to Jesus? Why they didn't believe in him? It's because of their pride, wasn't it? It's because they didn't want their works to be exposed. They didn't want to admit their sin. They didn't think they needed a saviour. So instead of acknowledging Jesus and believing in him, they killed him on a cross. They hung him out to dry because they didn't believe. Do you believe about Jesus? 
personal question I know. But we all believe some message about life, don't we? There's a message that we do believe. Perhaps your message is if you work hard, you'll get rewarded. Perhaps it's if you have enough money, then you'll be secure. If you get married, then you'll be happy. What's the message that you believe? There's a message about life that we all believe. The Christian message is this. You were made for a joy-filled relationship with your God, your Creator. You were made to share in that joy. But each one of us has walked away from that. We have broken that relationship. We've turned our back on God, either by ignoring him or deliberately rebelling against him. But God did not want to leave us in that darkness. So he gave up his own son. He sent his son into that darkness to take that sin on himself so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have life. In fact, so that we could be reborn, it says there so that we could have a whole new life. See there verse 12 and 13? Verse 12 and 13 says, To all who did receive Jesus, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See what John's saying there? He's saying we who are dead and in darkness can be reborn. We can have new life. We can become God's dearly loved children. How? By believing in Jesus' name. Friends, this is so important. I think for many of us, sometimes over the holidays, we sort of, you know, might have wandered away in our faith a little bit. Sometimes I think we kind of fall into this this way of thinking that if if we want to get back with God, if we want to kind of reconnect with God, then what we have to do is turn over a new leaf. We have to make ourselves better. We have to get religious. We have to do things, right? Is that what John's saying? John's not saying that at all, is he? No, I think if you're thinking that you need to be better in order for God to accept you, is that going to give you life? That'll crush you, won't it? The, the expectations of those standards, on the one hand, it may make you feel kind of proud if you do feel like you're meeting it, but more than likely, it's going to make you feel worthless and hopeless when you know you haven't measured up to those standards. That's not life. Now, the Bible doesn't say turn over a new leaf. The Bible says you need a whole new root system. You need, you need a whole new source of life. And you can have that because Jesus died on the tree. That's the message of the Bible. The Christian message is this. We were really sinful. We were so sinful that the Son of God himself had to come into our world and die on a cross. But at the same time, we are so incredibly loved that the Son of God would come into our world and was glad to die on that cross for us. Do you see the two sides of the Christian message? On the one hand, it just humbles us to the dust, doesn't it? So sinful that God, the Son, had to come and die for us. It humbles us. It means that we can't boast in any superiority. But at the other time, but at the same time, we can't sort of stay downcast about these things because we know how much God loves us and that lifts us up. So we kind of have this humble boldness, this humble confidence 
that actually allows us to live in a freedom, knowing that God loves us and he accepts us when we come to him through Jesus Christ. That's the new life. It's a freeing life. A humble, bold confidence, knowing that we can call God Father. That's the new life. Do you have it? Do you have that kind of life? Just to close, I want you to imagine for a moment your bedroom that you live in. Imagine your bedroom and I kind of find a key somehow and I get into your bedroom and I I bring an elephant (laughs) into your bedroom and I just leave him there for the afternoon and then I take him out again. Do you think you would notice the effects that the elephant had on your room? The magnitude of the being demands that something would have been moved around, right? Friends, how much more is it with what John says about Jesus here? Have you heard what John is saying about Jesus? He is no ordinary guy who just gives life advice. He is the one who created life and who wants us to have new life through him. The magnitude of that being ought to be shaking something in you such that you respond. If you're someone here who's not sure about these things, if you're someone who's checking out Christianity, we are so glad you are here. There's going to be some times uh, later on this afternoon where we can chat about these things, have some question time. But just for a moment, I want to talk to Christians here in the room. If you're a Christian, if you're someone who has been reborn by the Spirit of God, can I ask you, how is your life being rearranged by this message of Jesus? Are you living out of this knowledge that you are God's dearly loved child? Is that kind of setting you free? Knowing that you have absolute acceptance before the one that really matters in the world? Does that kind of shape the way you react to other people? It should. You shouldn't be living for other people to like you and accept you because you have absolute acceptance. That's the kind of thing that this new life will do. Are you rejoicing in this relationship? Are you rejoicing in the security that you have that can never be taken away? Is your knowledge that you are a dearly loved child actually rearranging things in your room here at uni? What about this just to finish? Is your knowledge that God the Son came into this world to seek and save the lost? How is that changing your heart for the lost? How is that reshaping what you do at you? We're going to talk about some of these things in our small groups, but I'm going to pray for us now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can know you through Jesus Christ. Father, you say in your word that if we continue in your word, we really are your disciples. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free. So, Father, we thank you for the truth that we have just heard from your word. Father, in line with that truth, we ask that you would give us new life and that that new life would set us free. Father, we pray that we would be people who live out of the knowledge of these great truths, that we are your children, that we are chosen, holy and dearly loved. 
May that knowledge give us a joy and a freedom that sets us free to serve you here at this campus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.